Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and welcome to another in our series of Space Spinner 2000 Collected Episodes. Our goal here is to collect our coverage of 2080 thrills and storylines in one place, so you can easily listen to them on the, uh, all in one go. They're a great comp a accompaniment to reading the 2080 collections that that Rebellion publishes, or just to hear us talk about a bunch of stuff without being interrupted by the good stuff, as we say this time. <laughs> in every life, a little rain must fall, and so it is with this 2080 collection episode, where we cover our most hated 2080 storylines. The real stinkers. There's so much we love and enjoy about 2000 AD, but it can be fun sometimes to vent our spleens on some thrills that haven't quite <laughs> passed muster in the weekly progs. We're going to talk about four all-time bottom thrills this episode. First, oh, man. there's Colony Earth, which ran from Prog 52 to 61 by script and art robot Jim Watson. Then we'll go immediately to Death Planet, which ran from Prog 62 to 70 with script robot Alan Hebden, our buddy from Meltdown Man, and art robot Lopez. Then we'll take off with Angel, which ran from Prog 95 to 99 with script robot Chris Stevens and art droid Carlos Pino. Finally, we'll investigate deep into Rick Random, which ran from Prog 113 to 118 by script droid Steve Moore and art droids Ron Turner and, Scarl and Carlos Escara drawing as Long John Silver, that evil pirate. <laughs> you uh, you put more creativity in uh, in their introduction than they shared across each other. Oh snap! <laughs> You're horrible. I hate each one of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all the thrills. That are, they're the ones that Fox and I always refer back to as being the lowest of the low in 2080 history, and they've made a huge impression on how we approach the comic and the stories held within. Oh God. Uh, if you're trying to read along, they're a little hard to find without the progs, yeah. as many of these stories have never been reprinted and just sort of, you know, occur in uh, ghost stories that editors of 2080 tell each other. <laughs> Pretty much. I, like, I had been doing a little bit of, of research prior to this, like, other than, like, skimming through and doing some reading. But, mm -hmm. like, if you, if you try to search Angel 2000AD on Google, you're <laughs> going to come up with, like, uh, a Wikipedia entry that's like, this was a comic book. Very mm -hmm. helpful. And then pretty much nothing else. I mean, many of the these... Absolutely, yeah. I think, yeah, I'm sure Angel Gang gets you way more responses for Angel than finding anything on the actual thing. I found a couple things that's maybe say, that maybe talk about Angel being crappy, actually. Mm. And um, I found Colony Earth to be way harder to find descriptions and like synopsises and stuff on. There was a guy who did a, a two-minute video on it, and I was surprised at how not damning he said. Uh, he didn't say that much damning. He did hit on mm -hmm. a particular topic, but we'll get into that. <laughs> um, I think the only one that's actually been uh, fully that's fully available currently in a graphic novel is Death Planet, which um, mm. appears sort of in the back of a uh, collection of Planet of the Damned comics, which is, which is one from a uh, Star Lord. And it's just sort of like it seemed thematically appropriate and they needed to fill some pages. So they tossed it in there too, you know? Because, <laughs> like, the, 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 the plant, because, like, the book says, like, Planet of the Damned. And then it says, like, with Death Planet in a slightly different font. And the cover has no Death Planet references to it, you know? Oh, my God. 
That's great. Yeah. So, when listening to this episode, I definitely suggest listening for the uh, pain and anguish in our voices as we cover these stories. <laughs> which, you know, usually, of course, we love 2000 AD. It's so fun and great. But, you know, now we've been forced to listen to cruel parodies of what a real thrill should be. Fox, do you have any advice for folks for just things to look out for as we make it into these four, uh, you know, what, evil horsemen of the thrill apocalypse? Uh, yeah, keep an eye out for Pikachu Furby walkie-talkies. You'll know what I mean when you get there. Oh, you death planet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let the pain begin. Episode 15. Progs 50 to 53. February 1978. Thrill 8. Colony Earth. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm feeling relatively ill. Can we skip this? No. Uh, so Jim Watson writes and does the art for these, this new thrill, Colony Earth. It's told in a really, like, or it starts in a really breathless second-person narration, which I kind of like sometimes. It's mm -hmm. like a bunch of fishermen pull up a robot like you're a fisherman and you pull up a robot from the sea um but then the fishing boat is found two weeks later abandoned by a nuclear sub and they see the robot on the ship they blast it and then the next day commander james hunter is sent out to investigate the now missing sub which uh you know got done did got blown up by a robot beam yep space robots <laughs> And then they excavate, I guess, like a, a capsule, and they see an image on it. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is, oh. like, from the past, kind yeah, of. Yeah, hold on, hold on, buddy. Um, well, they, they, they find the fishing boat abandoned. At, or, yeah. And oh, right. looking for the sub, they find the abandoned fishing boat, and then there's a weird capsule under the waves. They winch it up, and they... Uh, consult with a uh, professor who's come on the trip with them professor vandenberg who looks the markings on the castle uh, on the capsule and says they match those from a ten thousand year old south american civilization maybe from aliens we'll see yeah so soon afterwards in the next prog the sub is found several miles inland in south america in the middle of a destroyed village which uh, is kind of neat yeah, it's it's just a cool to see this big watercraft just sort of sitting out in the in the open, several miles inland, sort of among the smashed remains of this sort of village thing. Yeah, uh, everyone in town and on the sub is dead, and Hunter with three helicopters finds this crazy alien robot thing. It blasts away all the helicopters, and only Hunter and the professor survive. They hide behind a wall as a spaceship with similar markings to both the robot and the capsule swoops in to hover above the robot. Which, you know, so far the start of this, pretty good. A lot of words for the love of Jesus. I mean, we, but, yeah. But uh, really liking the explosions and the, like, beam um, looks when he actually gives it space and doesn't clutter it with a bunch of words. Yeah, there's pretty good action mm. in there's pretty good action in Colony Earth, but it can sort of get in its own way with its super wordy descriptions and narration, and it feels really jam like a whole bunch of stuff jammed into the small number of pages it has. It's not yeah. really, it's not the best example of sort of the, like, 
short short storytelling that we've come to sort of expect from 2000 AD, you know? Well, yeah, and I think you, you kind of hit it on the head. Like, it feels breathless, whereas I feel like uh, Future Shocks, as an example, don't feel breathless. They're just like, they know what to do with the amount of pages that they have to tell, like, a really crummy story or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, even Invasion used to only have two or three pages to tell yeah. a story. No, yeah, it, it, exactly. Like, like Colony Earth always feels like it's like a seven-page comic that's forced to be on like five or four or five pages, you know? Which, if, if that's the case, my argument for this person is like, yo, man, just... You know, you you got what you have to work with, Taylor. Down your shit. <laughs> so it goes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Episode sixteen, Progs fifty four to fifty seven, March nineteen seventy eight. Three Colony Earth. <laughs> oh, Colony <clears throat> Earth. So okay, let's uh. So there's <laughs> there's two dudes in Colony Earth. There's uh Hunter and Professor Vandenberg. They've been in uh investigating aliens and dealing with all these alien things and they continue to do so this episode when we last left there was an alien robot that was meeting up with an alien ufo and instead of doing anything they just leave yeah so in this case they uh they they run away Mm -hmm. then they head out to investigate another ruin another ruin associated with the aliens that a bunch of american army dudes are excavating and then they don't do anything and they leave well in there they find an underground entrance with some ufo stuff in the basements and then as they come as they um, go back to the surface the ufo from the last episode shows up and there's a robot alien about to attack yep so oh yeah they use its face yeah but so (laughs) in the next one hunter takes down the robot but as they become above ground the army guys are under attack from all the alien dudes they spot some gnome-like actual aliens riding like a hover a hover bike and they capture those those gnome aliens to interrogate them and it turns out that they come from an advanced race earth was once one of their colonies and no primitives i.e humans can stop them yeah so uh then hunter and the and the professor steal a remote control from the gnome guy they fly off on a hover bike with the robot. They have the, re- the, the remote control is for the robot thing. And they use the robot to blast all the other aliens. I'm just, then, like, how advanced of a race are you that you need a remote for your super murder robots? Like, why wouldn't that, I don't know. Why wouldn't it be, they, they'd be, like, mind-controlled? You'd be able to talk to them and tell them any stuff or something like that? Yeah, I mean... Not like, have a remote control that just some random dude can pick <laughs> up and start destroying all of your forces with? Yeah, it seems, uh, you know, it's not that hyper-intelligent. I mean, you know, just because they're smart doesn't mean they're wise, buddy. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> um, so our guys, after blasting a bunch of aliens, they fly out to their the ships they, they, they came in on, and they see that sea levels have dropped dramatically. It turns out that the Earth is cooling, and all the water is being turned into ice, because the aliens are trying to start a new ice age. Oh snap! Yeah, so we send Caveman. We, we finish up the uh, the the this month with the professor, uh, Hunter, and Charlie the robot tr- uh, taking down some more alien crafts. As the sea level has dropped over a hundred feet, and glaciers are quickly enveloping northern cities. Uh, a survivor of the alien attack says that the real threat 
in terms of cooling the world is from an orbital base. Uh, Charlie probably can't destroy it, Charlie the robot, but maybe they can find something in one of the downed alien crafts that can, and that's the end of Colony Earth for this month. What a chilling cliffhanger. Everyone (laughs) seems pretty salty about that terraforming. That's the only joke I will give this. Fair enough. Yeah, it's hard. Honestly, I'm having a lot of trouble getting into Colony Earth as well. It is so dense sometimes. It's super, like, almost kind of hard to follow or just, like, there's so much going on. There's so many words and faces (laughs) shouting words at you and stuff that, like, it's really, like, you know. Well, and you're not getting any depth at the same time. So, like... I, I took extra care to read it all this time and really like, okay, maybe there's just more going on in like the little cards and stuff like that. And Jim Watson, my man, I bet you are the best ever. I mean, your art's definitely really great. Your art style is wonderful. But for the love of God, man, this is so much to read when he's just, all I want to do is see the explosions. He's super anxious to get this one specific story he has off his chest. Like, and he just tells it, it's really, it, the whole thing is just really breathless. That's how I describe it. Yeah. Like, everybody talks in, in exclamation points and all the narration is just immediately moving them from one place to another, essentially. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a Savage and Silk combo, right? Like they're immediately that thing that I drew kind of in comparison to them where you have, um, God, I forget the American guy's name. Not the professor. Uh, Hunter. Hunter, right. So he's like, we need to do this with explosions and guns and brash actions, which is almost always the thing that they do. Yeah, but he, la- he, you know, he, he just lacks the, uh, the gleeful murderers, the, <laughs> the gleefulness of Bill Savage as he kills a bunch of Bolgans. You know, that's something yeah. so many of these characters lack. They just aren't having, you can tell they aren't having fun in a way that Bill Savage wasn't. He was having fun. I mean, that was, it was his life's calling, his true uh, magnum opus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's okay, but this one's kind of forgettable. I don't know. I, like, I'm not enjoying it so far. Episode 17, Progs 58 to 62, April 1978. Real 3, Colony Earth. So, what do you think is the world record for getting through describing this month of prongs, specifically Colonier? <laughs> and there's a lot of thrills this month. There's like eight um, in the non-thrill stuff, but we can do. But Colony Earth is pretty quick. All right. So last week, uh, Hunter and the Professor shot down some UFOs with a robot sidekick. We learned the aliens had an HQ in space that was like a big satellite that was, you know, changing all, cooling down the Earth. They dragged a mostly intact UFO to their ship, and they're on their way to Cape Canaveral, when Cape Canaveral is destroyed by aliens, which is a bummer. Uh, but our guys snag some of the surviving astronauts, including a dude named Steel, and Steel manages to get the UFO running. And we're flying off in one alien ship to destroy another big alien ship, Independence Day style. <laughs> so on the way up, Steel, the astronaut guy, uh, starts, some, starts some stuff with other alien ships, like attacking them and stuff, so the ship is damaged. Everybody's got to pile into um, spacesuits and then onto their hover, on, onto their hover buggy they've been using really extensively for the rest of for most of this comic. Yep. With um, so it's 
It's still Hunter, the professor, and Charlie, the robot, then with Steel being dragged behind them in his spacesuit, like by a rope. As they try to enter the alien base, Steel's rope gets snagged on like a girder on the spaceship, and he's slammed through the main window of the space station. Then, so he starts, he gets beat up by alien slash gnome guys and their robots while Hunter, then the professor and Charlie infiltrate the ship. The professor tries to negotiate, but it's no go. They don't care. And so it's just kind of time to beat everybody up all over the ship, I guess. Uh, they, they, they kidnap the alien leader and manage to rig the reactor, the satellite to blow. They escape on the UFO and land. And now they can use the alien technology so that next time they'll be ready for when the aliens come. And that's it for Colony Earth. Go to hell, Colony Earth. <laughs> um, so I was going to save this uh, for the bumper, but I just want to use it as a preface for something. Uh-huh. Like, I'm going to have a talk with you later, I feel like, about this comic book. <laughs> um, so this is for everyone at home to realize how many words are just in one box for Colony Earth. Now, I, and I realize this is like the like intro of like the last time on Dragon Ball Z stuff, but every other comic in this doesn't even get close to this amount of words. Mm-hmm. Earth is under attack by a race of aliens intent on uh, coloni- wait, colonizing our planet at all costs. Using incredibly advanced planetary engineering techniques, they are trying to recreate Ice Age conditions all over the globe. But Commander James Hunter and Professor Philip Vandenberg have found the location of the alien's orbital satellite controlling the changes. And now, and then it's like two more paragraphs of dialogue. Yeah, there's so much words in this comic, and they don't need them, and it's just so much going on. Plus, like... Pretty much everything was just, um, they got this robot, like, four progs in, and since then, everything's been done by this robot. Yep. Like, the robot shot down all the UFOs, then they take the robot into the ship, and the robot basically shoots up the, uh, shoots up the big mother ship, and then they can escape. <laughs> and, like, blows up their ship partially, too, because yeah. it's just shooting everywhere. Like, it's... You know, there's some cool, there's some cool <clears throat> ideas in Colony Earth, you know? Like, that whole ancient alien like it sort of has an ancient aliens vibe which is always kind of fun where like oh yeah oh these ancient ruins were made by aliens that used to live on earth or we're just a colony of a greater alien race that's above us and stuff that's interesting stuff it's done real real poorly in colony earth if you ask me i don't think it's a great it's not a great comic and it feels just the storytelling style and stuff feels really different than everything 2000 than everything else in 2000 ad so um, I couldn't comprehend almost at any point in time what the fuck was going on, <laughs> um, or what to read, or in what order. Like it was just a fucking mess. And that yeah. said, like there's a lot of words in some of these comic books, but what I think you'll see very quickly in in some of the different progs is that if they want to show you something their text boxes move the fuck out of the way so you can just see what's going on yeah and like oh well if there's just like a lot going on like in a specific direction like if there's something going diagonally everyone talks in that motion or everything's going on in that motion and uh in this 
It's like they have a box and they fit everything that's fucking happening into that box, including characters' potential future movements. And you're just looking at this thing saying, what the fuck is going on? Like, it is decent sci-fi, but I feel like it's rushed and the author wanted to write more. And that just seems like a poor match for the style of this comic book and whatever story they're trying to tell. Yeah, everything's, I mean, we've talked about it before, like just the, the, the huge jumble and mash of words and images makes it really hard to comprehend. Yeah. And just really, really busy and just hard to follow and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just, it feels like it's from sort of an era where, or I guess it is, I guess, but you know, someone's got a big story that they need to tell, and they need to tell it super fast, so they just sort of constantly hitting you over the head with everything. It's funny because comics are such a visual medium that you'd think that that old uh, writing advice of like show show don't tell would yep. just come automatically. Mm-hmm. This is the this is like the telliest comic strip I've seen ever, like almost yeah. ever in my life, you know. And it really does. Like when I think of um, like people that I've talked to, because you know, again, uh, like I have some friends who like comic books, some friends who don't, and sure. you ask people who don't. And it's like, I, you know, I don't really have an interest or I have no fucking clue what's going on. It's just a bunch of lines and like shit going on and weird things that I have to read. And like, that is fucking colony earth. <laughs> like, if yeah. you ever want to show somebody a reason to not like comics, just have them try to suss through like two progs of that. And I guarantee they'll just get really frustrated. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not a great, it's a, it's. It's a, it's one of these early ones that are sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like how this is the negative side of what it can, you know? Yeah, which I feel bad for because I feel like the, the sci-fi is decent, so. It's got good, you know, good concepts, bad execution. Yep. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Thrill 7, Death Planet. Ooh, so it's a Death Planet. Yeah. It's got a lady. It's the 23rd century Earth. It's super crowded. There's a big line for everybody to board the colony ship Eternity to get off world. The commander of the ship, Lorna Varn, a lady. Who really only has one state of expression, if you've noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ship takes off and jumps to, F- uh, to faster than light. There's a problem. The ship goes off course, and Lorna crashes. Uh, Lorna clashes with the head of the colonists, Richard Corey. Then the ship crash lands on a crazy planet. Most of the colonists die. And in sort of an argument, Corey basically beats up Lorna. Yep. Also, the planet's full of angry animals. And here we are, folks, the first human-female protagonist of 2008. Good times. She gets beaten in her first episode. She's basically shown to, she basically shows up, is um, incompetent and bossy in like a non, in like a more than you would be for being a spaceship commander of like, yeah, you know being presented as someone who's sort of rough to deal with and stuff. And like then 25 gets, years. And then she gets beaten up by a dude, basically. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, it just seems so odd and out of place, but whatever. It's yeah. it's a first little episode, so. Yeah, I'm interested, you know, we'll see more stuff with Death Planet. Death Planet doesn't last that long. Once it's done, it's time for Ant Wars. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> really excited for Ant Wars, huh? Episode 18. Prog 63 to 66, May 1978. Thrill 5, Death Planet. 
with uh, the script by Alan Hebden and art by Lopez. Oh, so we, yeah. So we start off with a crazy monster stampede. Oh, no. Yeah, Richard Corey fights them off and saves Lorna Varn. The survivors of the crash, bear, of the uh, of the space crash, uh, bury their dead and start walking to find food, water, shelter, etc. Uh, tons of people die of thirst on the way. Apparently, yeah. when Lorna collapses, Richard Corey, the uh, jerk head of the settlement guys, and a crew member from the ship named Mike Herschel go on as a duo scouting. They find water, but when they drink it, oh no, it's poisoned! We're all gonna die. Oh, Glorg, these these adorable Pikachus led us to poison water. <laughs> They're murderers, man. But it actually <laughs> turns out that there's cure for the poison in these grape-like fruits hanging over the water. Hooray, we aren't dying right away. No, oh, it turns out everything's fine yeah. immediately when we start the comic. <laughs> the rest of the crew arrives and is refreshed by the water. Uh, there's a bunch of like sort of random animals walking around this watering hole as well, and Corey just sort of uh, finds a fairly tame one and just straight up murders it, <laughs> so that everyone can eat meat that night. Yep. As they do, though, they're attacked by a bunch of big other monsters that try to that steal all their food, and so it's time to. Oh, sorry. I just want to say, as they're attacked by the monsters, a lady shouts like, "Where's my Gina?" Like her daughter or kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this seems to happen every time there's some sort of crisis <laughs> in this comic. There's always at least one parent asking where their kid is. And um, one father having great, really great things to say, like, she'll be fine, now get the fuck, like, we gotta go. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, many of their concerns are immediate, are immediately uh, dismissed, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, it looks like we need more defenses around our settlement. <clears throat> So all the colonists build a huge moat around the area they're in. Well, I mean, first it's a huge trench, and then they break ground to let the water in, which Corey does naturally, but he gets swept away by the current. And I guess that Richard Corey guy's dead. Oh, well. Yep. Oh, no. Oh, oh wait. It turns out that then that Mike Herschel guy jumps in after him. Hooray. Lorna Varn has never felt so helpless, which is true, it feels like. Like, yeah. This story could easily just be about Mike Herschel and Richard Corey, and Lorna couldn't be in, not 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 be in it at all. But I don't know. I don't know how much of that is the character and how much of that is the writing. There's a lot going on. <laughs> but There's so, a lot going on. But so Mike saves Richard, and then Lorna is jealous about the boys being all heroic. So mm-hmm. she tries to tame this weird horse kangaroo monster she like rides it briefly but then falls off and then Corey makes fun of her so Lorna draws her gun on him and it's like a standoff it's like I'm gonna shoot you because I'm done with your garbage and there's only room for one leader here I'm tired of you being cool while I'm being lame basically (laughs) Uh, but in the next prog Mike Herschel steps in and the two agree to a truce a settlement's quickly established on the new island and all seems well until random guys on guard duty start going missing, killed by human beings, like there's footprints around them. And soon afterwards, the whole settlement is in flame, the fire set by an unknown person, and again, there's a little girl trapped in a burning hut. Oh no, what's to be done? Different little girl. We'll find out next time on Death Planet. Yeah. 
Man, I don't and like Death Planet very much, man. I don't know. It makes me feel oogie every time I'm done reading it. Like, it's just like, it'd be cool if Lorna Varn, the, uh, the female ship captain, was, like, competent and doing cool stuff on this planet. But instead, right. every, every opportunity is taken to make her seem helpless and incompetent. So, and real like, talk. The guy real she clashes talk. with always seems right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, Conrad, mm-hmm. what was the setup to Death Planet? We were it, introduced to Lorna Varn, and what do we know about Lorna Varn? She's like a spaceship captain. And what did they kind of detail her as when they talked about her as a spaceship well, she was captain? Like a, she was really good, right? As I recall. She was supposed to be like yeah. really competent and like the best captain in the fleet or something like that. That kind of stuff. Best best captain in the fleet has done this like a jillion times really by the book but also like you know really uh good at giving orders everyone very clearly respects her she's blah 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 and this whole comic seems to be like ah this person of authority we're gonna take you down a peg which really feels like subtext if you know what i'm saying it does really feel uh, like the whole story is just there to take this character down a peg which seems really weird which seems like a really weird motivation to have the character in the first place if you don't like her very much i don't know well uh, oh yeah you could have a job like other people but you wouldn't be able to handle it all the men would just be doing the work for you but that seems like like oh god it seems like a weird message to have in a comic book that's sort of built for like eight to twelve year old boys, basically. <laughs> I agree. I agree <laughs> completely. And so there's this Herschel character who shows up and is now getting like more time because he's like the first guy. It, this is his first time serving, yeah. and he's serving under her. And he's kind of like this de facto leader. He slaps the gun out of her hand. He has to rescue fucking the colony guy. Like, he seems to be doing all of the background work, keeping things running, while these two mm-hmm. just get the spotlight and have their drama problems. Yeah. Which, when mom and dad are fighting, and and so this is what I actually think it's about, when mom and dad are fighting and the kid is the one who's taking care of all of the business, <laughs> that's what I think is trying to, like, come across. Like, maybe it's being more clever, but really it just seems like... And you see this in letters in the, in the next episodes that we'll cover... Mm-hmm. But, like, people just talking smack about, like, Lorna Varn, and I'm like, she hasn't done anything other than get set up as really good, and then just every single episode after that being told she's terrible. Yeah. So, so it's pretty ridiculous. And, yeah. and, like, the, everything else that's going on might be interesting if it weren't for this, like, bickering. Yeah. Look. For sure. Hey, speaking I don't of- like it. No, it's not. It's not super for sure. Like you know, I want to like it just because it's this story that's got the first like you know actual like female protagonist and stuff. They don't treat her very well in the course of this comic. I must say. Episode nineteen, Prog sixty-seven to seventy, June nineteen seventy-eight. Thrill four, Death Planet. <laughs> Death Planet, written by uh, Alan Hebden with art by Lopez. So there's a fire in the camp. Oh, jeez. Oh, God, and I'm Laura Varn. I'm going to run right into that fire. Uh, I'm Richard Corey. I'm going to stop you. That kid's going to die in that house if I have anything to say about it. Damn you, Richard Corey. I could have done it, but nah, secretly in my own You'd have died because you're a dumb girl, and I'm Richard Corey. Corey, in my own head, Corey's right, and I, we got to keep going. Ah, uh, Death Planet. Yeah. The there, settler... They're okay. weird, will they, won't they, that just suddenly happens, by the way, and we'll get to it, is weird. 
Yep. <laughs> so with the settlement burned down, it's time to find a new place to live. The uh, we see that the settlers, the uh, or sorry, that the culprits of the settlement burning down are a bunch of no good jerks on hover bikes. <laughs> Goons. Yeah, they fly back to their leader, and ooh, it's a lady. Very she's pretty a, lady. Yeah, she's got uh, dark hair and sits on a throne with a pet cat. You know, she's evil because she's a brunette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and cat. Yeah. The henches think Lorna is dead, and the evil lady is pissed because she wanted Lorna alive. And so Nat, she has her own guy's gun down, which is, you know, par for the course for a uh, 2008 <laughs> villain. Pretty much. Meanwhile, the settlers are traveling through a, a, a snowstorm, and the uh, third and the third section of this uh, story's love tri- triangle, Mike Herschel, <laughs> falls from his kangaroo horse mount and, seem- and seemingly is about to die in the snow. Which, by the way, is the reason that... Uh, so when I saw this, I just immediately jumped to the next one because he's the only person that I liked out of this, and I was like, <laughs> God, if they kill him, of yeah. course they would or something, you know? So uh, as Mike Herschel is dying in the snow, this tiny squirrel monster like licks his face, which wakes him up. It was the same ones that led them to water before. Yeah, the water and the fruit before. Mm-hmm. So as this happens, another squirrel monster thing uh, jumps into Lorna's lap. And weird. It seems like they're able to uh, communicate psychically between <laughs> these two squirrels. They're squirrel monster psychic walkie-talkies, Fox. <laughs> they're little weird freaking Pikachus that you think through, and they're, other people can hear your brain. Yeah, psychic walkie-talkie Pikachus. That's how it goes. Ah, uh, just like... And they're extra helpful for reason. Yeah. So Lorna goes back to save Herschel while the rest of the settlement settlers continue on their way and oh, eventually uh, start uh, fighting amongst themselves. Jory, I'm out of here. I've got to help Herschel. <laughs> oh, I'm Mike. I'm Mike Corey, and I'm going to continue leading these guys. Oh, jeez, this guy's trying to steal my coat. Get off me. <laughs> <laughs> What's that lad over there? They ah, see a... I have a special glow rock that you can see in this cave. <laughs> yeah, Lorna has found a sweet cave that's full of glowing crystals. <laughs> Which, like, great. The uh, settlers all go in and hang out. The next day, kid goes out exploring. And the lady of black, or the lady in black, lures the kid, like, away from the settlement into the arms of a soldier guy. They put a uh, control bracelet on the kid for some reason. It's a pain bracelet, so it, like, yeah. completely floods your nervous system with ouchies and boo-boos. <laughs> Meanwhile, Herschel and Lorna narrowly avoid being seen by one of the hover cycle guys, and the lady in black continues to swear revenge on Lorna. Yeah, the kid is brought back in order to, like, lure her there, because goody-two-shoes always come after the kid. It's true. Which, hey, brilliant villainry. Yeah. In Case in point, the bad guy's ship lands and takes Lorna <laughs> hostage. Mm-hmm. She identifies the lady in black as Xena Dragornik. A uh, spaceship commander turned space pirate with a mat on for Laura. Big time. And by the way, it was, uh, God, what was it? She was thrown out of the Guild of Starship Commanders. Nice. Yeah, local 57892 uh, (laughs) Apple Stop B. Oh, my God. (laughs) We fly, we fly, we fly. Yeah. So uh, apparently that glowing crystal they found are actually priceless gems. Uh, meanwhile, Corey's looking this for the missing... This is not going every- to matter very soon, by the way, which is what <laughs> really... Anyway. Yeah. 
So Corey's looking for the missing people. He finds one of the walkie-talkie squirrels, which apparently was also taken with Lorna onto the alien ship. And the two of them uh, quickly like explain, get, get the lowdown on what's going on. <laughs> Corey mounts a counterattack on the ship, but it's quickly subdued. Xena uh, decides that they will make them all slaves to the crystal. He kicks a dude in the face like Mach 1. It's amazing. Yeah, but then he just gets into one of those pain bracelets slapped on him, and it's slave time. Yeah, well, you know, there's only one way to solve that problem. Yeah, well, I'll mention right here that uh, Lorna and Xena, and it's Z-E-E-N-A, I'll mention. Yeah. The two of them talking about their shared history and the relative worth of these crystals is the second time that 2000 AD has passed the Bechdel test which is two women talking to each other about a <laughs> subject besides a man. Um, the, uh, the first time was when Nessie and Rosa talked about kicking each other's ass. <laughs> Anyhow. That was the first thing that popped into my head and then you made it a reality. I'm yeah, so happy. I mean, it was. I don't know. Like, No, that's correct. That's feminism, right? A bunch of lady, a bunch of uh, of ladies with non-traditional bodies, uh, body shapes, kicking the crap out of each other. I don't know it's what else actually, is. I'm going to tell you right now, it is actually true. Anyhow, this situation, I think people would be hard pressed to say that it's just it, they're talking about crystals, man. Yeah. So anyhow, all the slaves, all the uh, settlers are enslaved with these pain bracelets. They get attacked by a big pterodactyl monster, which That's gives Corey amazing. an idea. Oh, God, that's right. He sees a pterodactyl. And he's like, of course, the answer's obvious. He cuts off his own hand with an axe to remove the pain bracelet. Then he grabs Xena, and the two of them get eaten by the pterodactyl monster. Which, he couldn't have shoved her. He no. couldn't have thrown her. Well, I guess he didn't mm-hmm. have another hand. Couldn't think ahead with losing all that blood from his axe hand. <laughs> with Xena not there to run the pain bracelets, the crew guys are quickly able to take down the space pirates, and now they're free of the space pirate ships. They could theoretically leave, but instead Lorna thinks they'll just radio Earth to get some more supplies and stay on the planet, colonizing it the way Corey would have wanted. The end of Death Planet! Uh, let me tell you something, because I told you at, uh, before we started that I actually... There was, it's going to be hard for me to say bottom thrill. Okay. Um, I actually enjoyed this, especially now that it's over, and this is what I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying it because it's something good. <laughs> I am surprised that a schlock factory magazine has found a way to schlock their schlock. <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you mean exactly? So invasion is schlock, right? It's action schlock. Like, it's mm-hmm. a guy with very little reason other than to avenge his his wife and child kills like everybody yeah yeah everyone um this is like super dumb it it makes no sense there are there are just things that happen and Mm -hmm. this reminds me of movies like say samurai cop (laughs) i can see that I want to say that Death Planet is is like a weird bad off movie. No, De- Death Planet is definitely of the thrills we've seen so far is the one that could most easily just immediately be like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie that a bunch of people make in their backyards. Yeah, like, a man cut off his hand for reason. 
but it's also like got weird like the the gender politics and the other stuff that's also kind of goes hand in hand with those movies as well 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 what wasn't i i I can't recall if you mentioned this It, it they they're while they're working like the the mines and stuff like that like they duke it out for a moment like uh, it, what it seems like mm-hmm. and then it goes to them in their heads and and she's like you know damn you 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 didn't understand which by the way she says damn you mm-hmm. they'd cut off that stuff before um she she's like oh you know i was just about to say this and and how i felt like you were this important person and helped us through this entire mess, even though we're in this thing, but you didn't let me because you're always talking about those blasted colonists. <laughs> and then he's thinking like, Drock, you Lorna, I'm trying to say something nice to you and you're a great leader, but you're too stuck up to listen. It's like, uh, <laughs> where did this come from? Are you guys suddenly in love? Like what's happening? It's, it's really implied. I didn't want to get to it just because it's in the la- it's in literally the last episode. <laughs> of this story and death planet's not coming back you know no. oh god yeah. was, like it's i don't know it's like dim completely dim episode 29 progs 94 to 97 january 1979 thrill six angel angel's script robot is crib stevens the art robot is charles pino uh, you can't hear me frowning, but if I could make a frown noise, I'd be making one. <laughs> All right, so RAF test pilot Harry Angel is flying an experimental computer jet type sh- type plane. But then the electronics shuts down. He's got to eject, but he can't because the plane is diving straight at a school building. So instead, he takes this plane in for a crash landing. He wakes up, and he's basically okay, but now the computer from the jet is lodged all over, like his right side, shoulder, and arm, basically. Yeah, like melted into him and then joined into his nerve endings. Yeah, he's got kind of basically a tech tattoo kind of thing. Hey, like those cyborg stickers. Actually, pretty similar to those cyborg stickers from (laughs) Prague 2 a thousand years ago. Uh Um, (laughs) it's, It's not hurting him, but now he's getting computer signals from everything. Like, that caused him to run over and fix the life support system of the guy in the hospital next to him, in the hospital bed next to him, because uh, it's malfunctioning somehow. And he just knows how to fix it, which apparently is like three years of training. Yeah. So I guess the ship's computer is still working while embedded in Angel's body, and it thinks... Uh, Harry Angel is an advanced spider fighter jet. <laughs> and fighter jets know how to fix uh, machines of this caliber. So Yes, they just don't have the hands to do it. But it uh. gives him tons of physical boosts. And ba- basically, he just got a bunch of hyperpuncture. <laughs> pa- pa- hyperpower what? from hyperpuncture. What? Mock, An- Mock no Angel. <laughs> wow. But like more. He's like Mach 1, but a, a more plainy, I'd say. <laughs> He's like if um, if the prince from Invasion didn't have any like point of saying anything, so he just said bland things and then became Mockman. He's definitely uh, bland. Yes. <laughs> so Angel Special. walks outside and he sees a 747 taking off. And it's it turns the out President's plane. And it's Air Force One, but then his uh, plane senses are tingling, and he realizes there's something wrong with it. He <laughs> s- snags plane a pilot. Senses. Yeah, 
I don't know. What to, I don't know what to say. He says no, like I got exactly I got a feeling that something's going to happen to that plane. I got to intervene. Um, so Angel snags a pilot and a jet, and they fly towards Air Force One. They got to save the president. Yeah, and he's like holding the plane guy hostage with like a, a wrench or something. And he kind of yells at the plane at the pilot to do some wacky plane stuff and he's like i didn't know these planes could do that and he's like i did because i got a computer plane computer built into my shoulder man you know you'd expect that that would be like his specialty is knowing what a what a jet can do something but so angel ejects from the fighter and he lands on air force one's wing and he climbs through the door there which punches a guy oh yeah punches this Punches a Secret Service guy, and he's like, hey, don't be so gung-ho, Mr. Secret Service man, just because some random dude just ripped open the door of the president's plane as it's about as it's experiencing engine problems. Yeah, and then run past the president and all of his generals who were like, whoa, dog, and go straight to the cockpit. Are you yeah. worried yet? Are you worried? So he does some, like, more kind of plane mumbo Like, all the... <laughs> I don't know what this plane stuff is. I assume that it's just kind of gobbledygook in the same way that they talk about. There is some kid um, in the 1970s who actually really likes planes who found this amazing, I'm sure. That's that's true, but I think mostly it's just like rerouting tachyons through the, and reversing <laughs> the, po- the polarity of the deflector shield on like Star Trek of uh, 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 the next generation, you know? I appreciate so much of what you just said. I'm just saying that it's just sort of mumbo jumbo and a bunch of button presses that saves the day. But, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't count on this to work if you're actually in a plane situation. <laughs> so, if, so if you're if you're flying Air Force One right now, um, I like Conrad and I really all of Space Spinner 2000 would like to dissuade you uh, from using this prog uh, for information on how to land your plane. Eh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, uh, the president... Um, so the, the plane lands, the president's like, hey, this hair, I like the cut of this hairy angel guy's jib. And he orders him to help out with an experimental space fighter program over the objections of the brass working on the program. Well, Angels, over the objections of the brass, who I think are the British half of the program. Yeah, no, it's just the, well, like the president's funding it, or the U.S. is funding it, but these guys, the brass that he yells at are definitely English guys. It's so bizarre. Angels move to some sweet new co- new quarters, and as he goes to sleep for the night, a shadowy figure threatens him as he sleeps. What does he threaten him with, Conrad? Well, basically, someone sets a bomb off in Angel's apartment, so Angel, <laughs> at the last minute, jumps out the window in his briefs, so this progs for the ladies. <laughs> Uh, Angel's technolo- technological abilities allow him to basically uh, glot, you know, his... The plane computer sort of thinks that he's flying and helps him come in safely for a landing despite falling three stories. Yeah. Then he then he runs back into the apartment building to save a kid that's been left inside the burning building. Hooray! And I think was the only one left. Either that or the rest of the kids don't matter. Don't worry about it. Um, two hours later, Angel has to do some jump testing. He leaps from 30,000 feet with a bulky parachute. But then, as he tries to open it, it's been sabotaged! God, this is just Mach 1 all over again. What will he do with no parachute? Next episode, Hitchhike at 20,000 feet. Doesn't that just... that just gives it away. Why would you even name it that? Shut up.
Episode 30. Progs 98 to 101. February 1979. Thrill to Angel. Yay. So, <laughs> so Angel is all, uh, all the scripts are by Chris, uh, Chris Stevens. The art robot is, Car- is uh, Carlos Pino. Lettering robot, Jack Potter. So when we last left Angel, he was doing a parachute test. <laughs> Um, at thirty from thirty thousand feet, and his parachute didn't yep. open, and it was all like cliffhangery. <laughs> and then, um, then some cool shit kind of happens. Well, so, yeah, so he's falling through the air, blah blah blah. Luckily, there's a nearby fighter pilot, uh, fighter jet that sees his dis- his distress and flies over. Angel grabs hold of the plane and survives the fall. But yeah, how they land is like really nuts. It was just like kind of a neat thing. <laughs> Oh well, oh, I don't know. I don't pay it. They just what? They just come down with him holding on to the top of the plane. That's no big deal. From a nosedive to okay, I know. I was just like that was kind of neat. I'm just giving it a man. Nod. I'm not expecting realistic physics from this story about <laughs> a dude with a computer embedded in his arm. You know. Hey man. But so Angel goes to the parachute store and like is like, hey, his parachute was damaged. <laughs> Sorry, to the parachute stores, because the plural makes it more official. Um, <laughs> the uh, the guy who's in charge of parachutes is like, uh, oh, yeah, I got this one special for you. Um, you better yeah. see that officer guy. And uh, Angel gets him to describe the officer guy. And it's one of the two members of the brass that was, he was that we, the president ordered. It was the to, crippled. Dude, yeah, to have Angel be... I'm setting it up, Fox. Hold on just a second, man. <laughs> but when the president... You know, when he, when Angel saved the president, uh, the president had him work on this space fighter idea, and there were two guys at the top. Yeah, and one was... One was one had a cane, and the uh, stores guy describes a guy with a cane, so Angel, so Angel runs up to him, and, like, you know, whatever, Dr. Butcher or whatever, and it's like, hey, like, you tried to kill me. You're under arrest, buddy. And they... <laughs> Drag him away. It's not like he's gonna run. Well, he's like got him in an arm lock and everything, and all it's like the two guys running after him are just trying to stop him from beating an old man to death. Yeah, he's got he's got he's mad with computer power, man. <laughs> so with uh, with the traitor apparently caught, uh, Harry continue. Harry Angel continues his. Um, training and stuff he's ready for his big flight with the space fighter and as he goes up the um the squadron commander gives him a um like his watch Which... that was a good luck charm for him and his father during world war one and stuff like that so angel takes the watch the pocket watch up with him and take goes up into space with the space fighter and as he does his computer senses tell him oh no there's something wrong with the watch and he opens it and it's got a bomb inside of it it's gonna make a um strawberry jam out of harry angel oh my god so anyhow um next prog angel manages to deal with the bomb pretty easily but (laughs) he like somehow jettisons it out of the plane whatever but it damages his plane so much that he has to bail out. And this leads to him uh, sort of falling to Earth, using his plane computer to <laughs> successfully free fall from orbit to Earth, landing on the ground without any, ener- without any injury 
besides <laughs> his clothes burning up and just the incredible Hulk amount of clothes, so he's still perfectly decent. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just saying, the plane computer couldn't even prevent the actual plane from crashing, from landing safely when things went wrong. And now this guy landed from orbit without being hurt. Why did he care about the, the parachute thing? That's way less distance. Anyhow. Um, it's such a dumb comic. A cop car shows up. <laughs> Um, Angel like yells. I forgot. I forgot. Angel like yells at the cops and then gets in the front seat of the car and pulls all the wires out of like the steering thing of the car and plugs them into his computer shoulder. Um, and then because the wires are plugged into his computer shoulder, now his computer is driving the car and it drives very fast. And does sort of some some Dukes of Hazard type stuff, like sort of. Not happy. Yeah, they're like in the back seat, like freaking out. And the car, like, <laughs> it does a thing where there's like one of those trucks that has like the the ramp thing on it to like carry cars, and the car and like the computer assisted car drives up that and jumps over an accident and stuff. Uh, getting some airs again. As they near the military base. That, that Angel took off from, he sees the squadron commander guy driving away from the base in a Jeep. And so Angel, like, jumps out of the cop car and onto the Jeep and crashes <laughs> it. And, you know, there's sort of general car fighting action, but eventually car crashes and the squadron commander admits to being bought by the Reds. And uh, all's well that ends well. That's all for Angel. And it never shows up again, you said. Um, I mean, there's definitely no more, there's definitely no more Angel, uh, uh, comics. Uh, he will, however, have cameos, you know, periodically throughout 2000 AD. Like, a lot of times as sort of a punchline cameo. Like, you know. (laughs) His whole fucking life. You know, just like, he's like, that's right, chaps, I've got plane powers or something like that, you know. (laughs) I don't know, man. Like, I, uh, and starting this, I watched him assault an old man. Mm-hmm. And where it ended was, I'd like he, him landing from orbit on yeah. his legs. He it's, just touched, touched down on space, touched down on Earth, starting in space. Doesn't it's so care. stupid. It's so stupid. Like, <laughs> Mach 1 at least was like, this is really going to mess me up. And he wasn't even in space. Well, and he, yeah, and he, and he didn't land straight on Earth. He la- he landed on a giant bog and like fell like oh, yeah. a mile into the Earth, and he had to climb out of the bog. <laughs> you know, like the oh, computer tell, and his computer said that he wouldn't survive, and it was only John Probe's awesomeness that allowed him to do so. You know, as opposed to his shoulder shoulder com- computer. The shoulder computer didn't even have a personality, man. Like, Mach 1's computer had something. And, like, it's not like this dude's personality is really driving the entire show, you know? I mean, we didn't get a chance to see it that much, so it's like, whatever. But, man, he's Angel. He's the main character. Angel oh, ain't no, that I meant, great. I meant Angel. Like, yeah. he's got no personality. No, that's what I mean, too. Yeah, oh. Angel isn't very good. I think we can all agree on that. Episode 33. Progs 111 to 114.
May 1979. Thrill 3, Rick Random. Oh, God, thank you for getting this over with now. So, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about good shit. So script, random, so, script robot for Rick Random is Steve Moore. Art robot is Ron Turner. Lettering robot is Steve Potter. And, and it's, it's the riddle of the astral assassin. Uh, great. Listen, credit card guys, I'm sure you're really awesome. And I'm sorry for what I'm about to do to this stupid comic. <laughs> so, here's the problem, all right? This one is sort of a mystery, I guess. Yeah. And um, I don't want to mess up the story by me glossing over things and stuff. So I'm going to try to be as, as much information as possible, all right? <laughs> it's 2423 on the spaceship Columbia where trade negotiations are taking place, but one of the ambassadors from the Gigan planetary combination, uh. Baron Odana, is murdered. <laughs> He's found by Exxon Sanso and Jamila Rose, a lady, <laughs> as well as by Dr. Marius Fisher from the Galactic Federation. Ah, oh, the treaties and ruins. Names. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> 50 light years away, Rick Random is zero gravity swimming with a space pilot named Vandalane when he gets the call to investigate the murder. Uh, the pilot for his ship out to Columbia? Buddy, it's Vandalane. Anyhow, they arrive at the Columbia. It's a big hollow asteroid, and there's a huge conference room inside of it. Uh, they land, and it's time to investigate. They enter their handprints to, en- to trigger the door locks. This is important. And meet the head of security, Marius Fisher. And we learn that only ten people could get into this part of the base. So there's only nine suspects because one of them's dead, of course. Um, so it's so we have out. Al- so Marius and his goons, uh, Jay Chan and Leon Mirabellis, were with each other. So they alibi each other. So there's six suspects left. Um, the Goobins really need the. Yeah, they really need this treaty, but several members of the combination don't want it, even though they, they, it's, they need it for their economy and stuff. Yep. Uh, Rick tries to check the body, but he's attacked by the giant and haunty Garen Aldo, who takes a swing at Rick and gets an elbow in the gut for his trouble. Uh, Rick smooths he's things over. He's the coolest-looking guy in this, by Yeah, the way. he's got a big star belt. It's awesome. <laughs> Rick tries to smooth things over with uh, Theophilus, the elder statesman who wants things wrapped up quickly. Meanwhile, Vanda has been looking through personnel records, and there's still two other members of the delegation we haven't met. There's Hyro Cardin, who's like a wizard from a wizard planet, and then <laughs> there's Wavo Curzon, who's an economics professor. Based on who was with who, the main suspects right now are Garen Aldo and uh, Curzon, the, econo- the economist guy. Rick and Vanda decide to talk to them in the morning. That night, Aldo, no, Curzon, yes, Wavo Curzon, <laughs> wanders the hall, and he sees that the door leading to the laser disintegrator slash garbage disposal is wide open. He goes to close it. Someone kicks him in. That's the first proc. <laughs> no, continue, because we have to get through this. Second proc. to get to the end. <laughs> so Curzon's been disintegrated. <laughs> so from the shoulders up oh no 
the hot-headed Aldo accuses Galactic Federation goons Chans and Mirabellus, but this is dismissed. Random and Vonda reinvestigate the scene of the first murder. They see that it was caused by a blaster clamped to a wall covered by a curtain, uh, which then self-destructed, leaving a blast mark on the wall. So it was uh, remote control. Finally... They go see Hyro Cardin, the mystic dude from the Wizard Planet. He's not bothered by all the murders. He's busy meditating and explaining that life is an illusion. He makes a tiny sp- magic space lady. Babe. Yeah, space babe for Rick to hold on to that then vanishes. I, I don't know. Meanwhile, the pair walks in on Sanso being slapped by Rhodes. These are the two guys that found the first body initially. One's a dude, one's a lady. Um, then they're, Space babe. Yeah, and Sanso said that Curzon deserved to die, and then he swears revenge for being slapped. Uh, Jamila Rhodes is crying, and Exxon and says Exxon Sanso is in love with her and was jealous for her talking to Curzon. That was the economist dude whose head got disintegrated. Um, meanwhile, Sanso talks to uh, to Vanda and chats her up and says that uh, Jamila is bad news and only an idiot would like her, and she probably killed Curzon herself. So they are sort of accusing each other. Meanwhile. Aldo was yelling at Marius and about how the blaster is remote controlled, so it could have been anybody. And uh, so alibis don't matter. And if he doesn't get answers soon, he'll soon he'll mobilize his fleet. Oh my god! So random orders Chan and Marabellus arrested, and then leads them away. Aldo gloats and thus doesn't notice these shadowy figures stalking up from behind him. Next episode, framed. Oh my god! Take a take a bow and a breath. So, big question, Fox. We've read two issues of Rick Random, and you have not read the rest of the story. So, who do you think killed uh, the first dude, Baron, what's his name? Baron O'Donna, and then also uh, Wavo Curzon? Um, so, the the top runners are the two nasty people mm-hmm. who are just being nasty to each other, probably because their alibis are breaking apart and they killed mm. some people. Could be. Or it's a lover's quarrel. Yeah. Right. Also good. Um, but more than likely it's the person who friggin' brought them here. Uh, Dingle Dongle. Cause I don't remember his name. Uh, Marius. Was weird. Oh, uh, Theo Lefless. Fair. Yeah. I know who did it and it's dumb, but, uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say, the only people who heard What's-His-Face be like, I'm going to mobilize my fleet. Like, the next one, it looks like there's a guy about to shoot him. Yeah. No, there's this mysterious figure that's um, coming up from behind that guy, uh, Aldo. Yeah. So the ending's stupid. (laughs) Good. I'm really excited, (laughs) because this sucked. Rick Random's no good, man. It's complicated. Um, One... like as you might be able to tell, everybody's got weird fantasy names or sci-fi names. I guess I like some of the art. It's kind of got good sci-fi art. The problem is that there's so many characters, and they so many of them look exactly the same that it's hard <laughs> to tell like what's going on. Sometimes, like yep. when I finished the first episode where Curzon gets pushed into the disintegrator, I thought for sure that was Rick getting Rick Random getting yeah. tossed into the disintegrator. Yeah, no, that's um, weird. So, you know, I had to go back and and figure it out, but, you know, so yeah, it's not the visual parts that are required for this story aren't telling very well, combined with the fact that it's just like, oh, here's all these characters and all this stuff. So, like, you you use the word complicated, right? And I think for my spiel, I can work with that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, like, 
this is complicated and mysteries are complicated, right? Like mm-hmm. mysteries are, are revealing and they're slow paced and like you want to be excited about who it possibly is a good whodunit. You're, you think anyone at the table could do it, right? Yeah. And then people start getting picked off. This is complicated in the exact opposite way that a mystery needs to be complicated. Like, it's doing all of the things like, oh, they have to, like, go somewhere and talk and interview. But, oh, but then someone also has to die. It's, like, all just motions. And where it's complicated is, you're right, like, all of these characters just with weird names. And I, I have no idea who they are or why he's going to them. So I have to, like, flip back and be like oh, those were the people they just looked up on the fucking computer. Yeah. And because they didn't remember their stupid names and, and like, what's going on or, or what people's motivations are. Yeah. It's, like... I mean, for uh, me, this feel this does feel like a mystery and, like, a whodunit. Because um, I always have those problems when I read whodunit novels and stuff, like Agatha Christie mm-hmm. and stuff, where I have to, like... I find myself like dog earing pages just where there yeah. are descriptions of people to go because I have to go back to them oh, and stuff. I see. Um, so for me, I have trouble tracking a lot of those things, or you know, tracking those things is is can be hard for me just to keep it all in my head. So this feels just like more of the same. It feels like a pretty conventional whodunit to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. here's a locked room. There's only so many people that could be in here. You know, a couple parameters. Here's a dead guy. Here's some clues about the setup of the dead guy. And then, um, you know, but here's how it goes. I'll tell you that from the clues that are provided in the course of this story, there is no way to guess it ahead of time. Um, just <laughs> well, based on. Unless point? you take a flyer at it. But yeah, no, it's not a super mystery. I feel like they got one or two. Like they reprinted the Rick Random stuff in the special and the an- and the annual last year, and they kind of got one or two positive things about it. You know, it was easy to reprint them because they were just just stuff out of the vault that they mm. sort of published. They got some positive things. They're just like, all right, well, let's take a flyer mm. and have Steve write a uh, write a six issue story about it. and We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, they do. It's not received well, and we'll sort of see the well, end of it next time. <laughs> but. Well, so that's the thing is, like, I think that they should do a Detective Prague. Like, that's actually what got me excited about the potential of Rick Random being in this is, like, ooh, Detective plus sci-fi. Like, doesn't necessarily have to be Rick Random. They can do their own thing and make it a little bit more gritty the way they like to do it. Because noir would fit great in this. Yeah. Uh, in some ways. So, I <clears throat> I don't know. I This was not what I was expecting. Yeah. This is just like it's sci-fi for the sake of it kind of. Yeah, I mean this is honestly this is could just be a regular um you have to find something else to be the garbage disposal thing, but you could have this just be take place at like a hotel where like exactly. only a certain number of people can be in there and that's fine. Um there's Hell, no it reason could be a, a judge dread proc. Yeah. There's no re- you know, I think a good story should be able to defy genre. It's like whatever. This is not a great inv- yeah. e- example. Whatever with Rick Random, I say. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyhow. I completely agree. God, I'd love it. Love how quickly we got through that and didn't actually. That was not quick. Episode 34. Progs 115 to 119. June 1979. We're just going to rip we... the Band-Aid off this one. Thrill. Go. Okay, go ahead. We're going to go fast. Super fast. Thrill 2, Rick Random. 
So uh, Rick Random, script robot Steve Moore, art robots are Ron T- Turner and Carlos Escara writing under the pseudonym of L.J. Silver. That's Long John Silver. The lettering, the lettering robot is Steve Potter. Okay, so we're about to drop the whodunit part of this storyline, so don't even trip about it. The high points is that um, jerk... Gwiebin combination leader Baron Aldo gets killed by a mysterious face and Marius Fisher the head of interplanetary security with is is a found unconscious with a distinctive weapon he's being framed things look troublesome until wizard dude Hyro Cardan shows up and offers to tell us all who the killer is hooray next issue uh, again (laughs) space wizard Hyro Cardan reveals the killer oh dip it's original (laughs) murder victim Baron Odana that dastard he has a skull on his chest he's a space wizard I don't know what you want Um, oh no no Odana the guy who killed everybody just has a skull that's true he's dressed very evilly um yeah he put us off the case by being killed himself ah so um get space rockets yeah so this invent so this um wizardly suggestion proves true as the morgue bed that the baron was in is now empty everyone rushes to the room of jamila rhodes who's one of the lady diplomats and they catch odonna red-handed random gives chase and the baron runs super fast flying downstairs superman style and doing super flips and stuff eventually he escapes to a ship and is shot down with the star base's guns the murder is solved and the battle's been won but the war is just starting. So, uh, what could that mean? Next episode, after doing some quick judo on Exxon Sanso, one of the few <laughs> surviving Guibans, uh, Random realizes that all this oh. murder stuff is just a diversion for a coup back home. Everyone piles into a warship with escorts, rides out to oh. Guiban space. When they arrive, they come under fire from the Gwe- from the Guiban forces. Coup confirmed. Uh, luckily, the moons of the Guiban homeworld show ya are about to have a planetary conjunction that will make their sensors not work. Random, along with some army dudes with ridiculous helmets, all lead a commando raid on the coup, on the coup dudes. Coup dudes are uncool. <laughs> Rick and his girl Vanda make the drop. It's time to fight. Oh, but there's an enemy gunship bearing down on them. Look out! God. Final issue for final episode. Escara <laughs> finishes this one up on, as a pseudonym, and you can tell it's him because it's got this draws the same way with everything. Rick and Vanna fight their way down to Shoya, eventually confronting the very much alive Baron Odana. Rick shoots him right in the face. No <laughs> third chances. After a quick wrap-up involving uh, some hand-waving about lifelike androids, Rick piles into a spaceship, never to be seen again. Hooray! <laughs> Don't read this. Rick Random's real bad, and uh, unlike one of the, unlike there's a UK comics like Wiki page that I found that says that this is long, long considered the least popular thrill of all time. There's no citation for that, but it's believable. <laughs> yeah, I like. Ah, oh, it was bad. There was like one good Rick Random book, and it was so many words. And this is just like, who cares who done it? It's definitely this one. And like ones like um, Colony Earth and Death Planet are definitely sort of your go-to early, early, th- early progs. Oh my gosh, what's going on? This, these are terrible um, choices. It's it's a space mystery that they can't help but make everyone's name confusing, and simultaneously have you not care about the story. Plus, there's no way to actually solve the mystery based on the clues provided. 
Thank you. Which like, is the whole no, point of a mystery. There's no like, oh, of course he was act like the first guy that was killed was actually an android that would then the android esca- um, escaped from the morgue locker and killed everybody, and then returned to the morgue locker just so that they <laughs> couldn't be found, and it was actually just a mask a coup. I mean, that's what? there's a lot going on with that. Yeah, and those were the worst thrills. Oh God, my eyes, my ears. It's just plus some blood going everywhere. Why did we do this? I gotta say, you know, I really like us to keep things as positive as possible on the show. And I'm not really a huge fan of doing stuff just to hate on it. Um, luckily, I think a telling detail is that our last really ultra-hated story was back in Prague 118. And we're now in like the 240s or something as oh, we record yeah. this episode. So it's largely been smooth sailing and it feels like in a lot of ways... Uh, the current creative teams have figured out what makes a prog good and what makes a prog bad and are sort of using that information to help everybody out. Um, well, I, and I tried to make sure that, like, while... Because I have some notes against this, but, like, mm-hmm. I tried to throw in something where it's like, this was good, but this is ultimately why it was horrible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, but I just also want to say, keep in mind, we're now counting down the 13 or so years until we finally arrive at Babe Race 2000. So stay tuned, wow. Bad Thrills fans. That sounds great. <laughs> What's wrong with Babe Race? Oh, dude. <laughs> we'll find out in the 90s. I mean, now ex- All right. I'm excited. I like cars and I like babes. I'm, I'm not going to get into it. We'll, right. we'll we'll talk about it when we get there, but <laughs> you sound so sad. I'm 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 very sad. I'm very unhappy about Babe Race 2000. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, hey, let's talk about uh, some bottom bad throw moments, Fox. Oh man, the most bottom of the bottoms. The the usually we have our top moments. This is our bottom moments. All right. So I've got one for each of the thrill we covers thrills we covered. So do you want to start talking about uh, Colony Earth? Uh, so I feel like ours. I mean, mine are going to be a little bit overreaching of the entirety, right? So oh sure, that's fine. Col- Colony Earth is is like. <sighs> so here's my biggest bottom. Like yeah, you, Jesus. You the th- art was the art was amazing. Wouldn't it have been nice if we could have actually seen it underneath all of the text? Mm-hmm. Like there are these these really well done explosions, and it's just like here. Let me just extol all the feelings and thoughts that we could possibly put into a book on a page and cover all of this art. Like ah, oh, it was just so much reading for so little substance. I really agree. Colony Earth really feels like it's from an earlier period of these comic books or something. It's just super wordy and doesn't have any of the hallmarks of what I think of as a 2000 AD comic, which is maybe having like six panels per page, maybe. Um, and then sort of limited dialogue in each one. But you're, you're absolutely right. The problem with Colony Earth, it's got like, you know, nine to 12 panels per page and each one of those panels is full is like half of it's taken up by word bubbles you know there's no space for the art to tell a story um and in a visual medium like comics that's just a huge crime basically if you if you ask me it was just really turning turned me off huge for sure all right so how about uh death planet fox how you got any feelings about death planet oh i got i've all right so here's the bottomest of the bottom <laughs> we have the first uh, technically, second 
strong female character potentially, <laughs> right? So this is this is coming in. Lorna Varn is coming in as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. This is a protagonist, right? So first, she's touted as being awesome, and like I believe the both of us were pretty interested in like, okay, this is like a female character. She's a starship like commander or captain, mm-hmm. and then just consistently becomes the butt of jokes is completely inept and then falls in love with the man who is a total dick to her for the entirety of it. And I'm just like, what the fuck the fuck yeah. happened with this whole thing? Uh, like she's a horrible character and it's a horrible, like the both of them were horrible, but she was like magnified in horribleness. Yeah. There's so much promise with and potential for this thrill and you really want it to be like, you know, I mean, you know, I, you know, we always joke around about old one eye and stuff like that, but this is definitely a story, the story that like had a cover, you know, it's a lady right out. It, it's a female character right out front. Like it was a chance to just sort of, you know, have a nice thing of like, yeah, 1978, 2000 AD just happened to have a character, you know, a, a female character be the protagonist of the story and it was good. But instead it's actually, you know, she's gets messed around constantly and it's like a real bummer it's really weird and and on top of all like good stuff out of this was like there was all this interesting potential with like the colonists and and her like side which were the officers the weird planet they were on like i don't know this lost potential plus in the end it all i want to say my bottom is that in the end everything turned on these uh dumb squirrel raccoon walkie-talkie monsters that's just like yeah. this is lame. <laughs> what the hell? This is so weird and purposeless. Absolutely. All right, so moving on, Fox. Oh man, it's Angel. Uh, the, you mean the discount Mach One? Yeah, I think this is. We both had the same feeling about Angel. I mean, there's only around for like four progs or something like that. Oh, yeah. But it definitely just feels like the the thing about Angel is that it comes in and. When it, at the point where it comes in, Mach 1 had been tired and it was tired and was discontinued and stuff. Angel comes in as a crappier Mach 1 and just can't exist. You know, he just can't do anything. He's no good. Well, it's like the, it's less racist than its uncle Mach 1. Yeah. Uh, but no one asked for it, right? No, no, no one, no one wants this story. No one's, in, no one cares about it. Yeah, exactly. So, whatever, Although, your computer arm is dumb. Yeah. I, I, I still do. Like uh, Mach One free falling from space. Oh yeah, <laughs> to Earth because he's got flame because he's got plane powers. That's good. Uh, that's good super heroics. Sure. <laughs> God, I just I don't know. I can't think of one good thing from that comic that I enjoyed. So whatever. Uh, I like the free fall, but otherwise I mostly I agree so- with you. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely bland. Finally, oh man, Rick Random. <laughs> so, plus side, giant sexy swim globe at the start, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it was just fucking Odonna the whole time. And I guess, like, if you're, look, if you're going to make a whodunit where you call in, like, what separates Rick Random from Dan Dare? Dan Dare kills all the people indiscriminately. <laughs> Rick Random is, uh, he's, He's like a, a space detective. Mm-hmm. So you go in and I'm like, okay, I, I think we had some arguments around this, but like if I'm reading something that's like a whodunit detective novel, mm-hmm. like either string me along with pieces that make it obvious mm-hmm. or 
um, put pieces in that I don't realize are there. And yes. then suddenly they all coalesce and you're like, oh, fuck, it was Odonna and he was definitely dead. Instead, it's just like we chase around a bunch of dead leads that are all stupid. And then eventually it's that guy and we stop the thing from happening because we just kill him. Absolutely. Yeah, I super, you know. We, we, we might have had discussions about this, you know, more, more heated earlier, but I definitely agree with you about this. Like the, the, a, a huge weakness about, um, Rick Random is starting with this whodunit plot with like 12 different potential suspects. Many of them look very similar in a lot of the art things <laughs> to the I point, about that, yeah. to the point where I thought Dan Dare, where I thought Rick Random, I should say, had been killed in the first uh, 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 story, but in fact, it was some other guy, you know. Um, and then, like, I definitely don't want to say that a comic book isn't a good way to tell a whodunit story. I bet a comic could be, I bet like a, a comic version of like Murder on the Orient Express or something could be amazing. But yeah. I don't think a five page a week anthology comic is a good way to tell a whodunit story, you know? I agree. Because it's just, all this plot device and then a cliffhanger every week. There's just no time to get a sense of the different characters or to sort of figure out, like, you know, who's doing what and what's, you know, to sort of log all the facts in your head to be able to figure it out yourself, you know? Yeah, you'd have to wait till the next week and even then, like... Well, and there's just not enough space to let, them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To do things, not and you have to spend time recapping what happened earlier and all that stuff. And then also, you're right, man. This ending is bullshit. There's no way to tell. You couldn't. It doesn't make sense afterwards. You know, you can't like piece the pieces together to solve the puzzle for real. You know. Yeah, no. A, he was the dead guy in the coffin who popped out and killed people in dumb ways. Yeah. The whole. It's really. like a yeah. It's a bad mystery in the first place, and then it's combined with sort of you know confusing art and lazy storytelling. Uh, it's just the worst of all crimes. You know. <laughs> The only thing that really got it through uh, was once in a while there were sexy ladies. I mean, there were a reasonable amount of space babes, but man, you know. That doesn't save something. No. I mean, you know, 2080, honestly, I, I enjoy that it doesn't have a ton of space babes sometimes. Yeah. Just because it means it's not pandering to older kids, you know, yet. Boo. Yeah. Well, oh, really? Sh- shout, shout out to us. Shout out to, uh, what, Babe Race 2000. Uh, <laughs> Second time. <laughs> Okay, so I'm I'm not gonna look this up, but I swear to God, when this comes through, okay. I really hope that I just don't horn dog this. Oh <laughs> man, we'll be at ninety two. We'll see, or, or ninety four, I guess. But yeah, okay. So listen, bad thrills are bad, Fox. Um, I'd say for me, there's three big indicators that I'm not gonna like a thrill. I guess. Um. One, and they're all shown in these different thrills that we've looked at, okay? So I guess one is like compression, you know, where we have a thrill, thrill that's got just a ton of panels on a page, like in Colony Earth, you know, like nine or 12 panels, often filled with big ass word bubbles, you know. It's a storytelling style where there's too much to follow and it becomes very confusing and not fun, you know? Old Rick Random serials and stuff like uh, that. I mean, old Rick, you know, new Rick Random. The old Rick Randoms just (laughs) were a prime example of that, as is Colony Earth. Colony Earth. 
Uh, the next one is when something's more of the same. Like if your story can easily be described as sort of a thrill X, but with Y, like Mach <laughs> 1, but with planes, you need to think again <laughs> in terms of what you're doing for this comic book. Judge, Judge Dredd, but about butts. Yeah, I mean, think about it. wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You know, judge judge butts, butt dread. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's not let's not throw the baby off the bathwater. Anyhow, right. I guess. Oh, awesome! The last one is a uh, bad politics. You know, I think sometimes this can be unfair to the past. Just as you know, as we can be very high and mighty in 2017 talking about the politics of sort of a a British thing written in 1977. You know, but like. I just got to say, like, if I'm reading a thrill and it's got a lot of, like, there's a lot of racist stuff or, or sexist stuff in your story, then I'm probably going to rate it lower than a regular comic, you know? I think that's pretty fair because I, look, I mean, you know, I I grew up around, like, older people. I mean, I have a grandmother or, mm-hmm. and had a grandfather and things like that. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not like they were walking around just, like, saying the most racist shit in the world. And Mach 1, you know, near the end, that shit got a little racy. It's got you know, some stuff, yeah. Yeah, most most people aren't aren't generally degrading of another person. Or, yeah, you know, or stuff like... Something they can't change. Yeah. Or stuff like Death Planet, where it's just like, they just yeah. spend the whole time, like, gaslighting this, like, lady, this lady captain and stuff. Just being a huge jerk to her constantly, often for no reason, you know? And, and I feel like them was going through a divorce. Yeah, and, like, the author make taking steps to, like make her look bad and fail at things and be bad at things, you know, in comparison yeah. to male male uh, crewmates and stuff. I don't know, man. It was just so... No, I completely agree yeah. with this, uh, like, it's, your uh, yeah. it's a It's a challenge with this stuff. You know, it's just something to keep an eye out for, sort of, as we go forward. You know, we're going to have, uh, you know... One thing I will say is that as time goes by, we will, you know, we're of course we're going to have bad... Um, bad bad thrills or thrills we don't like i think as time goes by we'll see new ways for thrills to be bad you know no. <laughs> which no. is always always exciting always innovating on that stuff are the 2080 writers you know but i think on the whole uh you know it's mostly good and that's can be a Absolutely. good you know that's a good counterpoint is don't let this bad stuff get in the way of having a good time and being cool and you know I don't want to do this kind of show that often because I'd much rather talk about the thrills that I like and that make me excited, you know, and I think you're Ce- like that celebrate too. Celebrate the beauty of art yeah. when it can get ugly, right? Yeah, why be a jerk, man? Listen, you know, I believe in the uh, in the radical concept of being online and liking things, you know? That's my mode. <laughs> Who the... Podcast over. All right. <laughs> That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and our coverage of all the bad stuff in 2080. <laughs> Four bad thrills. <laughs> oh, my God. Next can... time, Wolfie Smith. I'm oh, no. Absolutely not. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us, spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, 2080 forums, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else. Look up Space Spinner. We should be there. And for everyone out there, thanks for listening to this Space Spinner 2000 collection. We'll be back soon. 
with some awesome uh, 2080 action, although for the next couple weeks we'll be taking some time out from collections to do some actual, you know, 2080 content with oh, that's crazy. the 1981 sci-fi special and then the Judge Dredd um, and 2080 annuals and our Spitties Award shows. Oh so, god, do you think those will be any good? Man, they better be or I'm gonna kick those guys' butts. Um, so I'm talking yeah. future Conrad. My own, future my own future butt. Oh, and <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad, and this and that's Fox, and this is the Space <laughs> Spinner 2000 Collection for Bad Thrills. <laughs> Splendid Vertrig! <laughs> <laughs>